Before we begin our Torah study, let's pray together. Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who sanctifies us with his commands and commands us to engross ourselves in the words of Torah. Amen. This week's Torah portion speaks about a turning point in the life of Israel. God has been doing the giving and Israel has been on the taking side, and now it's Israel's turn to give, and it's a turning point. It's a, it's a time for give and take. I remember what we read in the book of Acts, chapter 20, verse 35. Remember the words of the Lord Yeshua. It's more blessed to give than to receive. Now keep in mind, it is blessed to receive. It's blessed to give. It's just more blessed to give. But we want to be those who both can give and those who can receive. We want to be able to receive from the Lord and to give to the Lord. We want to be able to receive ministry from one another and also to give generously of our time and, uh, and of our help to one another. The relationship that God has in mind is a mutual relationship and there's symmetry. Here it's a reciprocal relationship. In fact, all good relationships um, have two sides with each side doing its part. A relationship that's one-sided where only one person is doing all the giving and the other is doing all the taking, it's not, this is not a healthy relationship. It's not a pattern for a normal, strong relationship. So Israel at this point, we're, we're going to read about, is, is called to make a turn. It's a turning point because God asks Israel to give to him. Now remember this, all the silver and all the gold already belongs to the Lord. The earth is the Lord's and all who dwell therein. So everything already belongs to the Lord, right? So when the Lord says, give to me, it's not like he's broke. It's not like he's asking for a handout. It's not like uh, he came up short and just needs a little help to get to payday. No, the Lord has abundance. But it's a turning point for Israel because God is recognizing that it's time for Israel to give as well. And there's even more than that going on. So let's start with a passage from Exodus 25. You can turn there. Verse one, the Lord said to Moses, tell the people of Israel to take up a teruma offering for me to accept a contribution from anyone who wholeheartedly wants to give. Another translation is to only accept a contribution from those who wholeheartedly want to give. And then down to verse eight, they are to build for me or make for me a sanctuary so that I may live among them or I may dwell with them. 
So Israel here is asked to give, and it's a turning point because Israel is to become a giver, not just a taker. Every one of us comes to that turning point also where we're giving, not just receiving. We're giving and not just taking. In fact, it's a joy when little children become givers in the family. I'm not talking about money here. I'm talking about effort. I'm talking about a desire to do something for the good of the family. Little babies can't really give of their own effort, but little children can. Teenagers can. Adults can. Every one of us has the capacity to give and not just receive, to give and not just take. And the Lord is saying, I want people to contribute, only those people who are wholehearted in wanting to give. And I think there are several important motivations at work that would make a person wholehearted. One is, the simple one, it's, it's obvious, they want to give. It's not because they're being pressured or forced to, it's not because they're being manipulated, it's not because they have a sense of guilt that they want to uh, overcome. You know what is the most popular way of religious fundraising and not-for-profit fundraising in America? It's to show pictures of suffering people that make you feel guilty because you're not suffering so much. And in order to get rid of that sense of guilt, Americans will give money. And then they'll say, oh, I did my part. And really, it's not from wanting to give, it's from wanting to get rid of the guilt and uh, the feelings. But the Lord is looking for people who want to give. That's one part. The second part is they have to want to build. These are people who want to use their effort in order to make a sanctuary for the Lord. Now they could say to themselves, what's the point? God doesn't need a sanctuary. You think we could build something that's worthy of the Lord? And the answer is no, you can't. But God knows that it's beneficial for you and for me to do what he says. And he said, you work at making a sanctuary for me, the kind of sanctuary I want. I'll give you the design, I'll give you the specifications. I'll even tell you what kind of material I wanna use. So all the guys who get bleary-eyed when you go to the fabric shop with your wives, understand this, your wives are like the Lord. They know what they want. Now, there are some guys who have good taste. There are some guys who are great at design. And um, you also are like the Lord. So men and women who have taste, you're like the Lord. If you just say, well, I don't really care, then you're not like the Lord. Because the Lord gives very specific things. I want, I want this kind of leather in skin. I want these colors. I want this kind of metal, not this other kind of stuff. I want it the way I want it. And there's purpose. So having good taste is a good thing. These are people who wanted to build. Now the third thing they want to give, 
They want to build. They want to be with the Lord. This is important. They're building a sanctuary because God says he wants to be with them, and they want to be with the Lord. They're not erecting an, you know, like a monument. And this is not some kind of memorial center. This is a place where God says he's going to dwell. He wants to dwell with the people. Now, it's good to remind yourself that the Lord wants to be with his people. Why build a sanctuary? Because the Lord wants to be with his people. And when we come into the sanctuary, we're coming into his house. Now, can he have more than one house? What do you think? Absolutely. In many different ways. He can have many different buildings that he comes to, but more than that, he can have many different communities that become a house to the Lord. And you become a house for the Lord when you, as living stones, are joined together And every one of us who is filled with the Holy Spirit becomes joined together as a community and we become living stones that make a house for the Lord. So it's great to be an individual who's a house for the Lord, but you're you're like a little sanctuary for the Lord. But when we're built together through our faith in Messiah and through the gift of the Holy Spirit in us and his leadership in us, when we are built together, then we become a, a, a stronger place and a better community. Now, the fourth motivation is the people wanted to be with people who want to be with God. Now, I pay attention to this because there's a lot of research these days about uh, spiritual trends in America. And more and more people don't feel the desire or the need to worship with others. They they have virtual relationships. They are satisfied with um, like digital communication without face-to-face communication at all. They don't feel a need to be known personally or to know other people personally, except in that way that you can through social networking which is pretty shallow because, I mean, think about this. How many friends do you have on Facebook? Um, I've got several thousand, and I'm pretty sure they're not friends. They're just Facebook friends. And a Facebook friend is really different from a friend friend. Facebook friends, I know they have never brought me chicken soup when I needed help right? They may barely know you. No one can be close to thousands of people. We know that. So if you've got thousands, or if you've got millions, you know, there are rock stars and and musicians and artists who have millions of followers. And you know what that means? They just don't have a lot of close people. They got a lot of superficial people in their lives. In America, people don't always expect that when they come to worship, they're going to come to be in a place with people that they know who know them. But it's a goal to be known. To be known by the Lord, of course, but to be known by each other. It's a goal to know each other and to form a community of faith. And you could say that the people who who wholeheartedly gave to building the sanctuary for the Lord 
wanted to be with people who wanted to be with God. Because each of them was doing their part, and they weren't just giving financially, they were giving from their hearts. They wanted to be in the house of God, in the sanctuary of the Lord. And so it's really about a community of people, a community of faith, and people who are stirred to gather together and who are stirred to serve together. And I think about what the Lord was asking for. He was asking for wholehearted people. That's a measure of the heart. Um, All your heart without reservation. And it reminds me of what Yeshua said. It's in Luke 12, 34. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The people who gave wholehearted were people who treasured being with the Lord and being with each other. And they wanted to give teruma. Say that with me, teruma. They wanted to give that kind of offering. It's a special offering. It's an offering from the top. It's the first and the best. You could say it's the cream. That's what they were giving. They were giving the best. They weren't giving from what's left over. And this all reminds me of what the Lord is looking for. He's looking for the heart. So here is a turning point for Israel. Whose heart is really turned to me? Whose heart is turned to me and what I want to accomplish, the Lord was asking. Who wants to be with me? Who wants to be with the people who want to be with me? That's what he was asking, because those are the ones I want to give in support of this, so that every time they come to the house of the Lord, they can say, you know, we're where we want to be. It's without dread, and it's also without that kind of, can I say, lack of dignity that comes when, when people don't participate in making something happen. They, they don't have dignity because they've not put any effort in themselves. They're just takers, they're just receiving, they're not helping make something happen. I'm so grateful for all the people in this congregation who serve. Every act of service is an expression of dignity before the Lord. You're saying to the Lord, It means something to me. I value this community and what we can do together. It's a way of saying, Lord, you give me the honor of doing something in your name, and I take it seriously. It's a matter of the heart. Now, I want to use the rest of our time to go through a lot of different scriptures that are all connected to the theme of of the turning point and give and take and the motivation that really connects us with the Lord. And they're really focused on um, how do you connect to God? So Jeremiah 29, 13. I encourage you to write these scriptures down or to listen to the podcast and Take note of them and read them for yourselves. Jeremiah 29 verse 13 says this, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with 
all your heart. This is so important to understand. When will people find God? When they seek God with all their heart. Passive people don't find the Lord. People who are just half-hearted or double-minded, I sort of want to find the Lord, I'm not sure I want to find the Lord. I don't know if you were ever in this condition. I was, where um, I was saying, Lord, I want to know you, sort of. Um, I want to follow you, sort of. I'm afraid. Have, have, Have you talked to people who agree with you, yes, the Lord is the Lord, and later they'll be ready to follow him? when they're not so busy or when they're through with college or high school or when they're through with the bar scene or the party scene or this scene or that scene or whatever. I, I don't know if, if you've had those experiences talking to people who, who say, yes, but. But the Lord says, you will seek me and you will find me when you seek me with all your heart. So the condition is seeking God, part one. The other one is with all the heart. To come to that place of single-heartedness and motivation. That's when you'll find me. Amos 5 verse 4. This is what the Lord says to Israel. Seek me and live. How does life come to Israel? Seeking the Lord. And then Proverbs 8.17. All of these are connected. The Lord says, I love those who love me. And those who seek me diligently find me. And the idea of seeking diligently means with commitment, not just with temporary emotion. And it also means to seek the Lord by seeking him. Yet a lot of people confuse good intentions with actual action. The Lord says, if you seek me, by seeking me, you will find me. If you seek me by sitting on your tuchus and doing nothing, you won't find me. If you seek me by thinking about it but not doing anything, you won't find me. Now let's look at some other scriptures. Revelation chapter three. Verse 20, the Lord says, here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. I love this because it's a continuation of what we were looking at at the beginning of our study in Exodus this year. How does God reveal himself? One way is he reveals himself as the Lord who has a voice. Anyone who hears my voice and opens the door. So you're hearing the voice of the Lord. There's another way that the Lord reveals himself that that we were looking at as a personal presence. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person. He comes personally to be with the person and they with me. And this echoes what Yeshua said in Matthew 7, verse 7. Ask and it will be given to you. 
Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. Now, it's important, and, and many people have taken note of this, that the, the Greek actually conveys a continuing action in each of these things. Keep asking, and it will be given to you. Keep seeking, and you will find. Keep knocking, and the door will be open to you. Sometimes people think one and done is how to live. I asked God once, that should be enough. I sought him once, I said a prayer once, that should be enough. Knock, I don't even know what to knock on. But I'll knock on wood. The Lord is saying here, keep asking. Keep asking. Keep seeking. Keep knocking. And that's how you'll find the Lord. Let's look at just a few more verses. Normally, I'm not big on this type of message, just running through a lot of scripture, but I, I have the feeling that it's important to expose you to a lot of scripture so that you'll go back and study a lot of scripture and let a lot of scripture fortify you. Um, even if these are just individual verses from different passages, my hope is that you'll actually not only take these to heart, but you'll go and you'll read them for yourself. And then some of these you'll put to memory and you'll memorize them, you'll hide them in your heart and in your mind so that when you need them, you will have them. Because the word of God becomes stronger in you when it's in you. John 5, verse 40, says this. You refuse to come to me that you may have life. That has two parts. And it explains why a lot of people are suffering right now. They refuse to come to the Lord. It's okay if the Lord wants to come to them. But they will not make the effort to come to him. You refuse to come to me. That's part one. The second part, that you may have life. It takes humility to come to God and to say, I don't have life without you. You don't have to be in desperate circumstances. It just requires humility to know, I don't have enough myself on my own. God, I need you for life. Connected to this, Matthew eleven twenty eight. Come to me. Come to me. Say that with me. Come to me. You'll never be able to lead people to the Lord if you can't tell them, come to the Lord. If you leave that part out, it's hard for people to come to the Lord. Why? Because you left out the detail. Come to the Lord. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. This is a great promise, especially for people who are in turmoil. Well, the whole world's in turmoil. You know, the, this is the nature of the world we're living in right now. People observe some craziness in the political world or in the um, economic world, and immediately, 
we figure out how bad things are gonna be. And we can go from this current situation to the worst. And, and we're convinced, okay, this is what's gonna do it. This is it. And then that sort of slows down, it doesn't pan out the way we thought, and another new thing comes. Um, someone made the remark, do you remember when um, one of the terrorist leaders was, was killed, was assassinated, really? And there are people who said, oh no, this is now gonna bring you know, World War III, we're all gonna die. Well now, the coronavirus has made everybody forget that. And no one's thinking about that action. It's like, there's not even much energy left for people to kill each other. Um, people are so preoccupied with you know, virus and the economy and so forth. The Lord promises this, come to me and I'll give you rest. Come to me and I'll give you rest. You who are weary, you who are burdened, it's good to be able to know the symptoms in order to understand the right treatment. What's my symptom? I'm weary, I'm burdened. What do I need? Rest. How do I get it? Come to the Lord. Yes? Right? So that should be our testimony. You know what that means? Even in the midst of chaos around us, even in the midst of sickness and war and rumors of war and troubles of every kind, we should have rest in our spirits. We should be people of peace. If our main message is the world is going to hell quickly, we're not gonna be communicating peace to people who are sure the world is falling apart. What kind of peace do we have to give? It's not the peace that the world has to give, it's the peace that comes from the Lord. But you can't give it away if you don't have it. So here's, here's the interesting thing. It's important to receive peace from God and rest from God for yourself so that you can then give it to other people. You can assure people God's still in charge. He's still on the throne. You can assure people God is watching over you. You can, you can do that without hypocrisy. You don't have to pretend if you've got peace. Now if you don't have peace and then you try to put on religious garb and facade and to convince people who aren't religious that they should have peace, then you're like a huckster. You're trying to sell something and it's useless because it won't take much time for other people to figure out you don't have it. So you've got snake oil, spiritual snake oil, rather than the real thing. How do you get peace from God? Come to the Lord. But what if you're weary? What if you're burdened? That's who's actually being addressed here. Who needs to come to the Lord? All who are weary and all who are burdened. Sometimes I think 
people get used to being weary and burdened and it becomes the new normal for people and they figure that's just the way things are. But I can tell you this, God wants us, he wants you and me to be people of peace, people who have overwhelming and overflowing peace and it's not because we're Pollyannish and it's not because we're one of the personality types that tends to be optimistic, but rather it's because we got peace from the Lord so we can give peace to other people. You can't give it away if you don't have it. But if you have it, you can freely give it. If you have peace, you know what? If you have confidence in God, you know what? You can be with people who don't have peace or confidence in God, and your presence, your words, your ministry to them will cause them to start receiving some peace and some confidence. My hope, my desire, is that we will be more and more those kinds of people who spread good news, who spread the peace of God, who tell other people, not just it's gonna be okay. We're not just cheerleaders. That's not what I'm talking about. We're telling people, look, in the midst of turmoil, in the midst of hardship, in the midst of difficulty, in the midst of circumstances that make you weary and heavy laden, God himself can give you rest. If you have ever had that experience where God gave rest to your heart, Just wave at me. If you've ever had that experience that when you were in trouble, God helped you, wave to me. Now, okay, thank you for waving. It's encouraging me to know I'm uh, with a group of people who's had this. But like, how about tell the Lord right now, thank you, Lord, that you're the giver of peace. Thank you, Lord, that you have helped me when I was in trouble. Thank you, Lord, when I was tired and I was weary and I was heavy. You gave me rest. Thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness. Lord, we honor you for this. We want to be those who receive, but we also want to be those who give. And help us as we're focusing on Thruma in these days. Help us remember how important it is to experience not only the blessing of receiving, but the blessing of giving. Let us be cheerful givers who give to others that they might know the peace of God, the love of God, and the forgiveness of God. In Yeshua's name we pray, amen. Well, we're gonna close with Aaron's blessing. Would you please rise? Thank you, Rabbi. If you're standing by yourself, I encourage you, move a little bit so you're not by yourself. Move enough so you're not by yourself. Yivarechecha Adonai v'yishmarecha. Ye'era Adonai panave lecha v'yichunecha. Yisa Adonai panave lecha v'yasem lecha. Shalom. The Lord bless you. The Lord keep watch over you and protect you as he's guarding you in your life. The Lord cause the light of his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his face to you and give you his 
shalom, in the name of Yeshua, the Prince of Peace. Amen. Shabbat shalom. Amen.